Welcome to Meetings with Remarkable Educators. This podcast is brought to you in part by you, our friends and supporters at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators. Each podcast is a dialogue between me, Ba Lovemore, and an educator who sees the greatness in their students and touches the whole of their being. These educators defy generalizations, so here's a little bit about what they've done and how I know them. Today's guest is Marion Viola, who is part of the UNESCO Chair for Education for Sustainable Development and with the Earth Charter at the UN-Chartered University for Peace in Costa Rica. Marion's perspective on what is sustainability and what the Earth Charter really means is, in my opinion, transcendent to how people often think about sustainability. Her words ring of a profound connectedness of life, self, education, environment, just wholeness. It's my great, great delight and my honor to bring Marion to each of you today. Welcome, Marion, and thank you so much for joining Meetings with Remarkable Educators. Our podcast is graced to have you. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for the opportunity also to share and learn this occasion. So I know that a center of your work is the UN Earth Charter, and I'm pretty sure our listeners don't know a lot about that. Can you give us a little background on that and also tell us your involvement with it? Yes. So the Earth Charter is, um, is a movement. It's a global movement. Uh, but it's also a, an ethical framework, a document. Um, it emerged out of the 87 Brunton Commission report uh, called, uh, known as Our Common Future. And in that report, uh, the Brunton Commission uh, recommended the need of a new charter uh, to guide states towards a more sustainable development societies. And with that, their charter became part of... Um, the agenda of uh, the preparatory process to, to the Earth Summit, the UN Conference on Environment and Development that took place in 92. Um, so it was part of the initial negotiations, uh, but there was no political agreement at that moment and occasion, and therefore the Earth Charter became, after the Earth Summit, a civil society initiative. Um, so during the most of the decade of the 90s, uh, there was a whole consultation process, uh, dialogue, uh, multi-stakeholder, um, multicultural, uh, multi-sectoral dialogue around what are the values and principles that should guide humanity towards this new era of new civilization towards a more just and sustainable world. So the Urshara is actually the outcome of that dialogue and consultation and that took place around the world in the decade of the 90s. It was launched in the year 2000. And since then, the, since it was launched, uh, it became a, a global movement that involves individuals and organizations from different parts of the world, but also different education settings and different sectors that uh, are using their chat in creative ways as, a, as an ethical reference, as an anchor, as a, as an ethical framework, as a, as a guide, 
a decision making or as an educational instrument. That's what their strategy is. So a movement and an education instrument, an ethical document. So there's actually a specific document. A charter implies that there are specific guidelines in the document. And so if we say we're part of this Earth Charter movement, that means we've read, ingested, and said that document means that much to us. Correct. Uh, the, Earth, the document basically articulates uh, a set of values and principles uh, that we believe uh, a large uh, group of humanity share, uh, independently of geographically position or culture or religion, kind of uh, values and principles, commonalities no? among uh, human beings in terms of what do we think is should happen or aspirations for a better world. And yeah, it's a document. It's a document that articulates um, four parts, 16 principles, 16 principles organized in four parts. It starts with a preamble and it ends uh, with a, a conclusion called the way forward. So you said that many different types of organizations are part of the Earth Charter, a part of accepting the Earth Charter as moving their own missions forward. What kinds of organizations and countries are involved in this? So there are the Earth Charter is um, uh, active uh, in around 89, 90 countries around the world. Wow, that's great. Yes, they're uh, in all regions of the world. So in Latin America, in Africa, in Asia, in Europe, in North America, there are registered activities with the Earth Charter. We have uh, Earth Charter affiliates, uh, about 100 affiliates around the world, working in about 89 to 90 countries. And these are sometimes universities, uh, schools, or um, local governments, uh, civil society organizations that basically looked at their charter and, and adopted it, and decided to embrace it and use it as their reference, as an anchor. We, we see their charter as, a, as an ethical compass, as a compass for decision-making, as a, as a compass for uh, understanding where we are, in this historical moment in human history, but also what's the direction we should take in our decision, our decisions, daily decisions, but also public and institutional decisions to ensure uh, a more just and sustainable society. So is there communication among these different organizations around the world? Uh, yes, uh, Will be better. <laughs> <laughs> Always, right? That's true for everybody, isn't it? From time to time, it's a lot of people. There's a language divide. Uh, to give you an, ex an example, there's a very active Earth Charter group in Belarus. Uh, they're extremely active. They have been involved for over 15 years in, with Earth Charter. But they speak Russian in Belarus. <laughs> their English is very limited. Uh, it doesn't mean that they are not doing a great job. Uh, so we do communicate with them, but in a limited way. You no, know, sometimes it requires translation. And uh, there are organizations working with Earth Charter in China, uh, Brazil, and in Spain. So this is also an issue of uh, 
language, language divide and language groups. Um, we, as a, as a Nurse Child International Secretariat, we function as a hub of this global movement. You're the secretary, you f- function as a hub? You, you personally or your group there? Our group. Uh, we oh. are based in Costa Rica and uh, we, we have a Nurse Child International Secretariat and also a, a Nurse Education Center. And uh, as such, we basically try to facilitate a process, um, a process of networking among active people. We try to collect stories of good practice. So, for instance, um, we have been trying to collect um, stories of um, how a group is using their chat in the UK or how different groups is using their chat in Brazil, be it a school, a university, or even um, an enterprise. And therefore, as an international hub of this global movement, we try to catalyze efforts, uh, the issue of language and translations, and we try to collect these stories in a written format, but also in video format, uh, precisely to make it easier for people to get to know one another and what's going on. And I imagine from the different cultures that we get many different ideas of how to implement the charter. And so is there a cross-fertilization in which the ideas of each different place uh, influence or inspire one another? I believe so. Um, For instance, we have uh, about three or four publications um, that collect cases of good practices um, lessons learned of how a group in Mexico decided to use their charter in artwork and in art in education. And uh, so through, we, I think we have about uh, over a hundred stories uh, that we have collected, stories that are written you know, in, in written format uh, from different, all regions of the world um, in all settings. And, and we provide these stories precisely as a way to to show different angles, uh, different possibilities, and uh, it's kind of cross cross fertilization. Yes, and you specifically, what exactly are you doing? What is your role and your function? So, um, as uh, Urshad International Secretariat, I met the and executive director here, and uh, I help to facilitate the process uh, and the engagement. Um, with this network of partner organizations. We basically spend a lot of time uh, nurturing relationship, enhancing and reaching out to new people and collecting these stories. That's as Urshad International Secretariat. But we also have an education center uh, that is located at the University for Peace in Costa Rica. And um, for many years, we have... um, well, we have also set up a, a UNESCO chair on education for sustainable development with Liverse Chatter. And the purpose of the center and the UNESCO chair is to offer um, training and research. It's really to do training and research on a values-based education, on education for sustainable development uh, that has a special angle on values and cultivating uh, values of care and respect and, and responsibility, which is at the core of their charter. So we, we offer, we developed a, a number of courses 
and uh, online programs in English, in Spanish, in Portuguese. And we offer that the courses and research also in terms of uh, what's going on around the world with the research chatter movement. And the courses um, are generally taken by whom? Who are the clients who actually go online or connect with you to take the specific courses? Educators. Educators in all settings. It could, it could be educators uh, from K-12, so primary and secondary education, educators even in uh, universities, so higher education. Um, for instance, we currently have a group from a university in Kenya. There are 10 people from a university in Kenya taking an online course with us. So a number of uh, university professors, um, K-12 uh, educators, uh, and also people who, many people who are working in education in the non-formal education setting. So uh, any professional who is willing to expand um, their view or enhance knowledge on sustainability or on pedagogical approaches uh, regarding values and sustainability into education. And so um, I know our listeners, and I'm certainly interested in, how did you personally get drawn into this? How did you come to make this such a, a life work, which is so touching and really heart opening for the rest of us? I think um, just by coincidence, it was never planned. My life is all about improvisation. <laughs> and, uh, my life is all about uh, being open to what's a lot of things that comes our way. Uh, but of course, I, I did fell in love with uh, working with people, um, people from all regions of the world, different cultures, different languages, different contexts. So it's hard not to fall in love with that, <laughs> it's from my perspective. You know? So I was engaged, uh, I was involved in the organization of the Earth Summit back in 92. I worked at the UN, and that's how I began to be involved in the theme of sustainability. So I was part of the organization of that huge historical conference that took place in June 92 in Brazil that really was a historical moment in terms of uh, policymaking, awareness raising, commitment of politicians, but also different sectors of society. It was really the first time the UN, historically, was the first time the UN was opening the doors for non-state actors uh, in special way, in a different way. Non-state actors mean groups of interest that are not governments, you know, so be farmers or business or local governments and etc. Youth groups or women's group. So I was involved in that 92 process uh, that really puts sustainability in the, on the top of the world agenda. It was also an interesting time in terms of the, the fall of the Cold War, new democratization, many places you know, in the early 90s. So I, I never stopped being involved in the world of sustainability. It's just that uh, between more or less uh, for the first 10 years, so 92 to 90, to 2002, I was more engaged or interested involved in influencing policymaking and uh, understanding sustainability. And uh, since the early 2000s, so since more or less the year 2000, gradually more to 2005, I became more and more engaged, involved, and interested, not just in developing 
UN policies or government policies on sustainability, but in really reorienting education uh, or in transforming education uh, to, to be a space that would really cultivate values of, uh, of care, responsibility, respect, values of sustainability. How would we really bring values at the center of any education settings? Um, be it for children, for adults, for engineers, for lawyers, because I think they, so anyway, so I started being more and more interested in that and I continue to be. And uh, the reason for that is is mainly because I think we can have a lot of knowledge and uh, knowledge without character, without values can actually be very dangerous and uh, not very positive for the common good. We can see that with the grid, growing greediness uh, and really many, even big decision makers that have a lot of education, we could even say quality education. So many people who are making a lot of bad decisions in the world is not because they're lacking education. <laughs> and that's scary. <laughs> it is. So you mean something by sustainability that I wish I could find more and more of because... Uh, certainly, most of the environmental educators that I've come across in my career, they mean simply and only a reorganization of how we deal with the natural resources. But you're actually, to my ear, and I admit that I may be putting this into you, into your words, so, but that the there's a quality of self, of spirituality, of deeper, deeper sense of who we are that is really at the core of... Uh, of sustainability is is that a fair paraphrase of what you're saying? Yes, totally, totally. I think one of our biggest challenges is really to move away from this fragmented approach to problems and challenges, and really reach it's a change of mindset. You no, know? uh, we all educated and you and our the way our organizations are set and organized is all in a reductionist way, in a fragmented way. Let's look at one thing, other one, a problem without seeing the connection with the other. So at the core of uh, sustainability lies really the need to shift away this fragmented mindset to a more systemic and holistic uh, approach and mindset to life. That's how life is. So about interconnections. It's all about relationships. I am, I, I'm sitting here and I'm actually feeling uh, pretty emotional listening because these are the words I, I've just yearned to hear. I, 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 I ran a big learning center in a part of Northern California that is famous for its environmentalism, for bringing... Uh, legal briefs to all the way up to the Supreme Court in America to try to change logging practices. And there was never the transfer of understanding to quality of self. And it's always, um, it's always been a pain and a suffering in my heart that we don't understand. We don't stop and understand the natural unfolding of humans. We don't participate in ourselves as natural phenomena and and try to connect the what you're connecting, which is the quality of self and how we live in the world and how we educate one another and what that really means at the heart of this whole process. 
And I'm just thrilled to hear your voice. So thank you so much for that insight and and to hear it in the world. But you know, I, I really, I feel good about the, the issue that I think there are more and more people in institutions that have embraced this sort of new education paradigm, uh, doing education from a, with a different angle and approach and really looking at the real purpose of education as as being an instrument of social transformation, not just an instrument to have someone have their skills to have more things in their lives, you know. Uh, we have been myopic uh, to believe that we, we go to better education or we acquire education or higher education with this lens of self-interest and uh, so I, I really want to demystify this <laughs> and put the lens of responsibility with the common good. It's teaching story time. Briefly, teaching stories invite us to see the world with a new perspective, often featuring a wise fool or trickster animal. They can be humorous, with many shades of meaning shining through the story. I have told teaching stories for the past 40 years with great effect, not only for the listener, but for me, as I have learned so much about myself through recounting these stories. Today's teaching story is entitled, Nobody Really Knows. Suddenly realizing he did not know who he was, the wise fool rushed into the street looking for someone who might recognize him. The crowds were thick, but... He was in a strange town, and he found no familiar face. Suddenly, he found himself in a carpenter's shop. What can I do for you? asked the craftsman, stepping forward. The wise fool said nothing. Perhaps you would like something made from wood? First things first, said the wise fool. Now, did you see me come into your shop? Well, yes, yes I did. Good. Now, have you ever seen me in your life before? Never, never in my life. Then, how do you know it is me? Let's have some fun interpreting this teaching story. Become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators and you have access to our detailed comments on how this story applies to education and parenting. Of course, that's just our perspective. The fun comes with community dialogue as the many shades of the teaching story come alive. See you there. In uh, 1999, the UN, uh, uh, there was the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Human Rights. And they realized, I guess, that they didn't include children (laughs) in their comment. So Mm -hmm. they organized, um, really, around the world, these uh, conferences. There were four in the United States uh, geographically, and Josette and I were invited to the West Coast Conference. And, and it was there was only about 20 people, which was nice, and the idea was, uh, it was run by the head of Amnesty International, and the idea was, what should be in this uh, document? And so we broke up into small groups to talk about it, and what Josette and I said in individually in each of our group was there needs to be this breakdown of separation. 
there needs to be an, uh, the fundamental human right, and it should be for children to never believe that they're not separate. In other words, we're always interconnected, and that that can be brought forward at different ways at different ages and so on. And anyone can do that, but you have to hold that at the core. And unfortunately, at that time, the issues were more like health care and food and that sort of thing, which I agree are, who, I mean, obviously, they're tremendously important. But that, to me, is the essence. If we understand we're interconnected, then, what, then from there, and, and I, to me, that's a natural capacity. It's, we almost have to be educated to believe we're separate or what you call self-interest. Right, right. It's uh, it's kind of a need to re-educate our minds, our hearts, and the way in which we relate to the large living world. So at the heart of the Earth Charter education, because the Earth Charter really articulates um, uh, this importance to expand our consciousness you know, with regards to our how we relate to the world, to the large living world. So at the core of Dirs Chata, there is an ethic of care and respect, not only among human beings, but uh, care and respect with the community of life. So just that calling, that invitation for us to lift up our eyes and see, oh, I belong, I'm part of a community of life. And what is that community of life? And, uh, and to elevate, to amplify our sense of care and responsibility, not only with my own self or my own closest community, but to expand that sense of community to the large living world. Uh, has it this, uh, I mean, at the core of it is really an understanding of interconnectedness. Do you feel that core is fairly well understood by all the different uh, organizations that you're affiliated with? Well, I certainly think that for those organizations and individuals involved with their charter. That's what our uh, worldview is. Uh, but certainly we have to, to acknowledge that that's not the mainstream thinking and worldview either. Uh, and that's not what it's really seen in the reality, you know, in the majority of places in the world. But I think that's what many different groups uh, working uh, not only with their shadow movements, but also with movements that are very similar, uh, are working towards. Wow. So how would, um, say, uh, people listening to us get connected to all this incredibly wonderful work that you're doing? How, what would they do? Would they go online and take a course? Would they, what if they wanted to form an organization? There's uh, uh, my experience, both uh, in my uh, teaching and my work with universities and different schools, as well as listening to you, is that there's more and more people who are getting the message, we might say. And I'm always interested, there's a lot of people right on the edge. I work with people who are trying to move to non-traditional education to allow a greater sense of self to be part of a child's experiences. Mm-hmm. So your work and all that you're representing, you're doing, could be a wonderfully expansive part of it. I mean, even for homeschooling communities, there's democratic schools, there's a huge network of international holistic schools. 
I'll be speaking at a conference in Portland here in uh, this in June where there'll be uh, uh, all, uh, non-traditional schools from around the world. So how do we bring it forward? How do they map in here? We have to map in, in my opinion. So tell us. Well, uh, we everybody uh, that come across the Earth Charter are obviously invited to use it, to make good use of it. Um, everybody's invited to go to our website, earthcharter.org, read the Earth Charter, get familiar with the the worldview that is really articulating, I think more than really know the words and all the principles by heart, is to get the essence, get really the spirit uh, of the Earth Charter and this general idea of what is this worldview that the Earth Charter is articulating. And then uh, people are invited to adopt it um, and uh, incorporate it in their various areas of action, in areas of interest be it a school or a local community, a university research project. Um, we, we do invite people to look at the examples that already exist. Uh, for instance, we have uh, a number of schools around the world uh, here in Costa Rica or in the UK that are using their chat in interesting ways uh, or universities and etc. So we invite people to look around and see what others are doing we did develop a number of resource materials that are available in our website, in our virtual library, like how to bring their charter to education. There's a guide for using their charter in education settings. There's a teacher's guidebook of how to use their charter. We have been in the process of updating many of these resources. We have a number of videos too. So people are certainly more than welcome to use the resources that are available in our website or to join one of our programs. We also have a, a, a program to engage young people. So there's a youth uh, Earth Charter course online uh, in English and in Spanish. And the purpose of that course is basically to enhance ethical leadership in young generation, using the Earth Charter as, a, as an instrument to sensitize and, and expand people's awareness and commitment to become ethical leaders. So we have... Uh, a number of options in our website, be it an online course for young people and online courses for educators or our resources that are freely available on, on the website. And do you ever ho uh, have a convocation of Earth Charter uh, people uh, to get together? Yeah, from time to time we do. We do that also online uh, through webinars uh, or from time to time face-to-face. Uh, uh, early in 2009, this year, we just had a conference with, uh, that brought together about 100 people, with over 100 people from different parts of the world that are researching or using their chat in different education settings. And we offered the three days as a space to share and learn from one another. So these are kind of a Earth Chatter Educators Network. We do offer that also. Well, I could go on for quite a while here. I think in terms of podcast time, we're pretty close to our end. I would love to give you an opportunity. What message would you like to leave with our listeners? What would you like them to really know and walk away with? I think uh, I would like to invite people to think about uh, the importance of social transformation. Yeah, I think we all agree on social transformation, but uh, 
I think my invitation is to look at ethics and uh, values-based education as an instrument of social transformation, as an instrument to cultivate an ethic of care in, in the society that we all desire, you know, uh, a society that lives in a just and peaceful way. So I invite everybody to, I would say, to think in creative ways, in, in contributing to this process of social transformation through the lenses of, of uh, enhancing our character, our values, uh, values that are related to the common good. And of course, invite people to look at their chatter and get familiar with it and use it uh, depending on their context uh, as an instrument um, to clarify what are the values and principles of sustainability, but also as, a, as a, an instrument of education, of value clarifications in education. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is just, I hope, with everyone listening, listen, share it, do whatever you have to do to get these wonderful words out into the world. Thank you so much, Marian. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's a pleasure to be here and learn also from you. Thank you. As a postscript, Marion is one of the few people who actually asked deeply about my work uh, and Josette's work and wanted to know us in a meaningful way before we even began the podcast. Fortunately, Dimitri recorded it. And so here, as a postscript, is the conversation that Marion and I had before the podcast began. Uh, what, what, were, what were you doing before? What was I doing? Uh, where you're based. Where am I based? In Portland, Oregon. Uh-huh. In, That's uh, east side? West side? West side, northwest. Yes, very beautiful uh, country. Just gorgeous mountains, forests. Really pretty. And you were working in uh, education, in the field of education? Yes, um, I've spent my whole career in the field of education. In fact, it's only since I, we closed. Josette and my wife have always worked together for 40-plus years, and it's only since we closed our last holistic school that we decided to go ahead and do a podcast because we wanted to hear, we wanted to make sure everybody has a lot to say. I, I think one of the commitments we have to make that hasn't been made well, and I understand why, is allowing a lot more of our voice to be heard in a lot more uh, venues and opportunities. And, um, and it's just not done. There are so many great people really paying attention to what needs to be done. So, But my primary work with Josette has been in holistic human development. And that's kind of how we got into all this, um, because we looked at we looked at childhood and then we looked at adults as well from a different lens. We looked at them through the lens of well-being, not pathology. And we asked ourselves a question, what are the natural capacities as they unfold? All life goes through life stages. So what are the natural capacities? And how can we see them come into our humanity? not just culturally or conditioned 
uh, a, you know, in that sort of way. And it was a startling uh, re-looking at how we develop and what we really uh, mark as important at different times of life. And so we brought that forward in a very quiet way and, <clears throat> excuse me, and it was not well received. No. Oh, no, it went against what most people believe is we should only look at behavior, we should separate out cognition, emotion, and behavior, all those kinds of uh, events. And... um that's wrong. We develop as whole people all at once. We don't develop in these separate events that are just convenient for a reductionist scientific approach. So how can we step back and look at it through the child's eyes and feel through the child's heart and allow that to come forward? And we've, we then explored that very profoundly all the way through age uh, 23. Then Josette uh, wanted, uh, I don't know if you experienced, Marion, but Josette experienced a lot of uh, disrespect as a woman in the field. Uh, she didn't have all the degrees other people had and that sort of thing. So she said, um, and there was personal pro for this as well for her, she said, I'm going to go back and get a Ph.D., and in it, what she studied, and this is what I think is fantastic, is what happens to adults when they engage children from the perspective of holistic development. That is, instead of the conditioning and the adult expectations, but we really understand that children organize the world in different ways and we provide those learning relationships, opportunities, what we came to call nourishments at those different moments, what happened? And we thought, well, there'd be some increased emotional complexity perhaps or whatever. But the committee said that her research indicated that adults who really participated with their children in this way, including educators, actually grew in wisdom. And they were not... This was a really kind of very intense, high-end academic uh, place, fielding graduate uh, university. And so that was, that was another boost. I mean, yeah, wow, let's stop and look at it. We're not really talking about what you can do for your children, but we're talking about a bi-directional development in which we're growing together, which is the name of her book, so that she made her thesis into a book, so that in that we can participate uh, in, in, in a completely different way in which there's an opportunity for relationship and mutual growth. So that really kind of filled out our work, and then we became popular. <laughs> and we were on, you know, we've been in... Um, we were in Mexico and England and all kinds of places and giving talks and seminars for many, many, many years. Then we developed a learning center, which included outdoor education and family-based programs uh, that was very successful for 17 years. And then I didn't want to be an administrator because I love to work with people. So we let that go. And there were other reasons, too. And we started a couple of schools, and those did okay. 
And then we said, nah, that's good enough. Let's bring it forward in a new way, which is we want to know who else. We knew a lot of people from conferences and those kinds of things. But we wanted to also get to meet and help bring together these diverse voices, which are really saying the same thing. And I think we are. And that's how we met Sam, and then we met so many others. And it's just been great. It's just been really great. So, And actually, out of this now has come an organization that's based in Texas that we're part of that is going to give accreditation to non-traditional education organizations. And we think that's important because it allows people to feel more confident to participate in non-traditional education and also allows them to qualify for grants and all these different ways. In other words, it improves their income streams. So we've been part of that growing now too, and it's moving ahead. It's it's moving ahead nicely. So more and more, just we need to form a web that's really strong. And these podcasts are a small part of it. I like to hear that. So we've been on front lines, and all of our work has also been uh, formulated out of field work, not just research. I mean, we do all the research, but the field work, being with kids, being with parents, being with people, that's been at the center of our work for all these 40-plus years now. Meetings with Remarkable Educators is brought to you in part by our friends and supporters on Patreon. If you enjoy our podcast and want access to enriching gifts for parents and educators, please visit patreon.com slash remarkableeducators. That's all one word, Remarkable Educators, and consider becoming a patron. Your support means the world to us and will allow us to continue this essential project. Our sound engineer is Dimitri Young. Our webmaster is Nathan Young. And transcription and production is by Josette Lovemore. All podcasts are transcribed with show notes and can be found at remarkable-educators.com. This is Bob Lovemore reminding you that Holistic relationships with children leads to joy and self-knowledge with the adults in their lives. With respect for you and for children everywhere, see you next time.